Hello and welcome to the Get French Ripple News preview show on today, December 8th, 2016. I'm Eric Devant and joining me are Adam White and Nathan Staples. We'll also be joined in about 20 minutes by Portuguese football expert Thiago Esteval to discuss the appointment of new not manager Sergio Conceição's um, appointment at, at the Breton Club. But first, here are all the latest updates from Ligue 1's European representatives. Paris Saint-Germain had held the advantage in Group A, needing only a win to advance in first place ahead of Arsenal, or lucky to escape with a draw at the Parc des Princes. Visiting Ludogorets had gone ahead twice before Angel Di Maria equalized at the death, a 2-2 draw condemning the Parisians to second place in the group. On Wednesday, Leon hit the woodwork twice, but Sevilla did the same once, and a scoreless draw wasn't enough to see the hosts overtake the Spanish side for second place in their group. Monaco, meanwhile, played a heavily rotated side in Leverkusen and lost 3-0 but still topped their group, while Saint-Étienne won 3-2 in Belgium against Anderlecht, finishing top of their group in a dramatic come-from-behind win and saw Alexander Sotolin net a brace before Kevin Monet-Paquet hit the winner 15 minutes from time. Nice, meanwhile, played an exceptionally young side in their final European match, winning against Krasnodar 2-1 with goals from Maxime Lemarchand and substitute Alexi Bossetti. So let's start then, gents, with the Champions League. Uh, speaking to you, Adam, about PSG 2, Ludogorets 2. Uh, the absences of Marco Verratti and Adrian Rabio made some enforced changes for Unai Emery, but the Spaniard also neglected to include first-choice fullback Serge Aurier leaving Kurzawa from the start, and Kurzawa did prove the difference with the assist for Di Maria's goal. Ahead of a big match with Nice this weekend, wanting to rest his best players. Adam, was this hubris on the part of PSG? Even oh. the goals that they did score, sorry, had a, had a moment of, uh, element of luck to them. Yeah, yeah, they did. It was. I was astounded by this this game. I mean, it could. It, I, I think it definitely is an element of hubris there to some extent. I am. Um, someone that worked at Football said to me, uh, "Is there any chance they're an Arsenal fan? Is there any chance of PSG messing this up?" And I said, "No, absolutely none. I could not see it." And I was amazed at the way the game the game unfolded. Um, I thought the only two players from Paris Saint-Germain's point of view that came out of it with any credit were Hatton Benafa, who's been fantastic since he's been given more of a chance for Emery, and Lucas, who had a great game. But the other nine players really were quite quite terrible. I was I was very disappointed. But I think it's kind of a mental issue with PSG that in the Champions League in the way that French clubs have underperformed in, historically in the Champions League. And I think it's sort of a mental block for PSG because there's so much pressure on them to, to do well in this competition. And I feel like the side that was put out against Ludo Garretts on, on, on Tuesday or Wednesday night was, was, should have won that game and won it comfortably. But they conspired to, to leave, leave the lad who scored the first goal completely free for the header. Marquinhos' um, mistake for the second goal, perhaps a bit of a fault to Alphonse Arevola as well there. I, I mean, I think they sort of shot themselves in the foot. And although, although you know, it's a difficult competition and it's something that's going to be difficult to, to, to win anyway. I, I felt like that team should have done far better and it's something they, they keep doing. Like last last season with Manchester City when they played, they really should have won that 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 game and been in the semi-finals. There was a huge opportunity there and, and they sort of managed to conspire to shoot themselves in the foot again with Blanc's bizarre 3-5-2 and they haven't really played that at all. I feel like it's a mental block for PSG. I don't know that their team especially is... Is 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 substandard by any means. I think it's good enough to make the, the fast last four in Champions League, but I think it's becoming a mental obstacle for them. Something that there's so much pressure on. It's that the, the, their only real objective as a club is to do well in Champions League, and I don't know. Maybe perhaps, perhaps there's too much pressure, and then it's it's something that they need to address definitely because it's Emery. The reason Emery's there, and it's the reason most of the players are signed. And I felt like they shot themselves in the foot last uh, on, on Wednesday night. It was, on Tuesday night, it was, it was very disappointing. 
Well, the winter window will be opening here in about three weeks. Uh, do PSG need to bring in players to improve this side, or is it simply down to work ethic and uh, health in the cases of uh, several players, as Pastore, Verratti, Rabio? Uh, the, is that enough to, to get this team where they need to be, or should they bring in a player or two in, the, in January? I, I think... I think I think it's 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 very difficult to complain at the the, the stand of their team. You look at their first eleven; it's very very talented. Uh, Di Maria is underperformed this season. I'm not saying he needs to be replaced. I think he has played better than the critics have have you know afforded him that that credit. I think he's been slightly better than that. And you look at Edison Cavani; he's a proven goal scorer. He's got what, 17, 18 goals in the last 18, 19 games with PSG. He's he's scoring goals at least. I don't know that his finishing is finishing is that consistent. I think he misses too many chances, but. He is scoring lots of goals. Lucas Moore has been fantastic. Ben Arthur has been fantastic since he came in. Marco Verratti is a world-class player. Thiago Motta is still very, very good. Defensively, they've got a fantastic back four. Aero has been a bit a bit flappy recently, but he's still a very good goalkeeper. I think it's they could strengthen their squad, but to say that they need to improve their first 11 to, to, to get, you know, to, to improve on they've, they've, how they've done before would be would be I don't, a little bit a little, a little bit unusual from, from my point of view. I think, as I said before, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a mental issue. I think they could improve their squad in certain areas, like the squad in total. Perhaps they need another striker, another source of goals that can support Cavani or even like challenge Cavani. So if he is in that poor runner form, he's missing chances. He can come in and replace him and perhaps give him some some competition for his place. Perhaps they need another winger because Ben Arthur seems to be a central player in Emery's eyes. Perhaps they need a want to challenge Di Maria because he's assured of his place in that team. So I think there are options to improve the squad, but I don't know about about the first eleven as it stands. I, I still think that they're, they're almost like Spurs. It's weird. It's like a bit of a Spursy issue. They they seem to reach a certain point and then then fall at the last hurdle. And the fact that Arsenal, who are a team that often are sort of sort of taking the mick out of it because they get to that period in in February and they sort of manage to sort of go out of three competitions at once, it was almost like that PSG were even worse than that last night. They set themselves up for the only objective that they needed to accomplish in the first half of the season and somehow managed to not win the game. It was it was very very unusual, but. I think as their first 11 goes, they're very good. Perhaps the squad could use a little bit of improvement, though. All right, and just one final point. Uh, Nathan, if you want to come in on this as well, you're more than welcome. We, before this season, it surprised many observers that Javier Pastore had been given the number 10 shirt. Uh, that obviously shows a great reliance and trust and faith in the player on, on the part of Emery. Was it wrong to do that, given his injury history? Possibly. I think you you make an excellent point that he's missed a lot of time again this season, and he he missed a lot of time last season after really having that breakthrough season back again, where because he he struggled when he initially came to France, and and there was a lot of uh, protests against really him being in the side, and then he was out of the side, and then he came back in and really really showed his quality, and he's a talented player, but it's a good question because who do you, is it really so. I always think that a number thing is a, is a strange thing to give as a mantle, really. Um, I know the significance it has historically, but at the same time, it seems a strange one. I, I wouldn't have given him the pressure, really, because he's he's under enough pressure to keep fit in the first place. I think he would giving him that number 10 slot um, ahead of some other players, maybe, that they might have given it to as well. Um, it shows maybe a little bit of favouritism, but... <sighs> This is a PSG side that we should be a lot better than they are. I think that last night was, um, sorry, the um, the other night was embarrassing. I think they've been appalling in the last couple of games and lethargic. Defensively, they were 
absent at times last night and the 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 equalizer is incredibly lucky i mean Di maria runs off as if he scored the winner in the world cup final but it's yeah, that was <laughs> he's, yeah he's he's scuffed it in unbelievably and it's kind of wobbled in because the keeper can't quite react a better goalkeeper absolutely saves that easily but they need to have a long hard look at themselves they've got a difficult game on sunday and uh they're going to be um under under the cosh enormously if they lose that one but the the pastoria one yeah it's a strange one looking back at it now if he would have remained fit it's because he's such a talented player you could have seen him possibly showing that worth for the championship but i agree eric it's a it does seem in hindsight like a strange one now all right, moving on then to Leon and their scoreless draw against Sevilla. Matthew Valbuena once again showed his class, and Nabil Fekir looked sharp as well coming on as a substitute. Leon had looked better and better with Le Petit Velo in the starting 11. It's a surprising turn of events from uh, earlier in the season. But they were unlucky, though, as Sergio Rico made several fine saves, and they hit the woodwork twice. Champions League effort is certainly disappointing, but can this team make a real run in the Europa League? They will be seeded, of course. Uh, and they do seem to be finally hitting their stride and attack, at least... Uh, you know, aside from the woodwork. Adam, what do you think? Is this is this a team that can make a run to say the quarterfinals as they had a few years ago? I think I think absolutely. Um, it, the only thing that comes through here with Leon is do they prioritise the Europa League because it's a competition I think they, they're good enough to win. Um, there are some very, very good teams in there. But does it affect, given the strenuous nature of the Europa League and the schedule, does it affect their, their league form? I'm, I would imagine that getting back into the Champions League is their priority. And obviously winning the Europa League is a very, very difficult task. They may be good enough to do it, but it would still be a, you know, a very, 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 very big achievement if they could do that. So I think, yes, they, they can go on a run, but whether, whether, they, whether it's they need to or whether it's something that should be prioritised from the club's point of view, I'd love to see them do brilliantly well in Europa League because I think they're a really great side to watch on their day. But whether it's something that the club will prioritise or see as important as opposed to coming in the top two or top three in the league, which is going to be very, very difficult this season as well, get back into the Champions League. It's it's almost a case of, do they risk it? Uh, do they risk the run and playing their better players in this competition? As much as it, it would be great, perhaps it's not at this stage of their development worth it. Maybe they need to be a regular Champions League team and third place might be might be you know a better achievement than getting to the so the quarters of the Europa League. I think they'd probably if they had the choice between the two, they they'd take third place every time. They've got the quality to do really well in this competition. It's just whether they want to use it, I think. All right. And Nathan, what about yourself? How, how, what are your feelings on Leon and the Europa League? Should they make should they make a run? They do seem to have depth, the likes of Cornet, uh Grenet's coming back into fitness, Jale is still to return. Uh, they have certainly more than eighteen players available to them would seem to have the depth to make a run, but uh, the league should be the priority? or Yeah, I, I think the league should definitely be the priority. I mean, they're already a little bit off the pace at the moment. They're 10 points behind Paris Saint-Germain, who are in third. They want to try and push for Champions League football again if they if they can. I mean, it's not going to be difficult for them to finish fourth, but to catch the three that are really running away with it a little bit compared to the rest of them, they do need to really focus on that. But yeah, I think it might depend on the draw more than anything. Um, I think they've, yeah, you're right, they've got some interesting players that they can use, but whether they quite have a complete depth to tra- challenge on both ends is another question entirely. Um because if it if it starts they get far and it starts hindering their league form, they'll be annoyed that they'll have to make another Europa League run again next season. But I think if I think in that first round you tend to get 
because there's so many teams in it and being seeded does help quite a bit, there's there's the likelihood that there's about 14, 15 teams that they won't mind facing. So at least that first stage might be a simple hit of, yeah, let's use the young players and give them a bit of a run out. But as to in terms of going further, I suppose, again, it depends on who they draw in that next round. Once it starts getting more difficult and once they start facing bigger teams with bigger squads, um, it might be wise to make sure league is the, the main priority. All right, sticking with our theme of young players that I wanted to ask you, Nathan, about uh, Monaco's trip to Bayer, or to Leverkusen, that is, to play Bayer. Uh, there was nothing in Monaco's trip to the Bayern yesterday in terms of its effect, but Nathan, talk to me about these young players that, that Jardim started. Uh, we have several of whom we've barely seen this season, thinking particularly of Kevin Adoran, Quentin uh, Jean, Abdou Diallo. We've seen Bostilia and, and Torre to some extent. Did any especially impress or disappoint for you? I'll go through them as he wrote them down, actually. I think Ndoram, I like him quite a bit, but he did play out of position in this one. He played as a defensive midfielder instead of a centre-back. And he did seem a little bit out of depth without someone like Bakayoko or Fabinho next to him. It was Jean Moutinho, who's obviously more offensively minded. And that really exposed him quite a bit. And Bayer really exposed the areas around him, especially someone like Julian Brandt, who's one of the best young players in Europe, really, at the moment. He's... I watched him play against live against Leipzig um, a couple of weeks ago, and he he was by far Bayer's best player, and he's an absolute fantastic talent, I think, and um, someone to certainly watch out for. He'll give them a lot of money soon. But Duran was very, he just seemed a little bit lost, unfortunately. I would have, I don't mind him playing that position, but I think you need to play someone stronger next to him. I thought Quarantin Jean was pretty decent. I thought he tried to contribute as much as he could. Um, maybe should have. He's unlucky to not score a little goal where he flicks it on the post. I'd like. I don't think I'd quite like to see him more of him this season because there's so many striking options. He's someone who maybe should look for a loan move in January. Uh, Diallo gives away a penalty. He didn't have the best of games, although, again, against Brandt, it's difficult to judge how well you can play, really, against such a talented player. But he he, he did look under the cosh against someone of that talent. Bushilia didn't, didn't play too badly. I mean, he was maybe a little bit too restricted by Jardim. He was not quite... It, flowing as we've seen him. We've seen him do much better in Liga. And Amami Torre was a little bit absent. A lot of Leverkusen's play came down that right-hand side rather than the left. Um, so he, he wasn't really involved too much. and He wasn't really involved going forward because Monaco never really got into the final third of Bayer very often. So it's disappointing we didn't see someone like... It's disappointing we didn't see more from some of these young players. I'd, again, I'd like to see Durham maybe replace Jameson at the back and give him a rest as well. But the amount of players that they had out, you could it's not surprising that Bayer really ran away with this one. What about Adama Traore? And Adam, you can feel free to jump in here too if you'd like. Big things have been expected for this this youngster. Um, he's a Malian international, uh, done exceptionally well at the, at the under, 20, under 20 World Cup a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and this surely would have been a match you would expect to start, especially ahead of likes of Moutinho or Nidoran being pushed forward into midfield. Does he need to go out on loan? And if so, what are some good options in Liga? Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a good player. I, he's a player that I, I, I like and I appreciate when he was, was it Lille beforehand? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I remember him. It was, it, he was good. He performed really well coming coming off the bench and, and in certain games he was given a start at the Girard, I think, at, at that point and in, at Lille. And he looked good. But I think the problem with him is he hasn't really been given the chance to develop. He's sort of been sitting on the bench at Monaco a little bit and hasn't really been given the games that he would have hoped for at, the, at this stage of his career. So I'm a little bit worried that his growth as a, as a footballer has been stunted by 
by not perhaps going out on loan again. Obviously, Monaco wanted to keep him and and you know keep keep under their wing if you like. But I'm not sure that's been the best Grimmie. So you, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is time for him to go to go out on loan. And I think there's a lot of options for him in the league. And I think someone like Toulouse, Pascal Depraz, would be a really good mentor. He gets the best out of his players. He's brought young players through really well. People like Alexis Blanc have done Abel Lafon, Issa Diop have done fantastically well under him since he's since he took over. And they're a side performing well. They're a side that would probably to suit his talent. So that might be a good shout. Um, perhaps someone, even Lorient might be a decent call at the bottom of the league at the moment. But I imagine they're going to have a fair amount of money to spend given the Guerrero and um, and um, and dong sales from the from the summer that they haven't really spent yet. So I imagine that they'll they'll do better in the second half of the season because Sony's getting getting the best out of some of those players at the moment. So there are options all across the league. If you ask me, Gangol might might be, be a really good a good uh, good shout from his <coughs> couple of a really good manager. So I think there's definitely options, and I think it'd be in demand too. Yeah, it might be a move back to Lille. Even I think that might even benefit him. Yeah, yeah they need some pace, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, well, Toulouse, I think, is a great shout. I think that the injury to Blanc, uh, he and Bodijay have played pretty much every match in that midfield, too. And I think Treyar would be a nice third option, especially if Toulouse do end up making a cup run. Um, moving briefly to the through the Europa League matches, uh, Adam, just really quickly, thrilling match in Anderlecht, essentially 10 winning 3-2. If Galtier can rouse these players to, with this sort of performance on demand at a tough, a tough, uh, a tough arena, why aren't we seeing more of this in the league? I, I I have no idea. It's very weird. I think there's a, there's a they've definitely he's definitely got a good squad there and lots of lots of good players. I think there was a lot of tough talking after the game in Wren. Uh, Vincent Padre in particular and Gauter himself both said that there was you know they had a, a lot of sort of frank words between between players and staff after that game because they looked so lethargic. I think though that their fatigue has been catching up with them a little bit and maybe a bit of a, a kick out the backside before this game from Gautier got this sort of especially the second half performance was brilliant. That, that kind of performance out of them that they, they, they've been struggling to get on a regular basis. And I think they are going to struggle to get on a regular basis given this schedule because they look tired. They look, they look absolutely shattered, in, in, especially at the weekend against Wren. I'm not surprised there was some tough talking after that game because they were barely in that game. It, they could have lost it by a lot, a lot more. Um, I think the difference though was Sodeland in this game. He's not a player that's been heralded since he's, since he's come into the league. And he was... Top scorer, I think, for Rosenborg the season before he joined. But still, our Norwegian ice football radar often said to me that he scores goals, but he also misses lots of chances. And in Liga, you can't do that. And he has missed quite a few chances. But although his, both his finishes were quite fortuitous today, I think he was getting into the right positions. So it was probably one of his better performances in a Sinetian shirt. And Kevin Malqui as well, who's gone on strength for strength this season, was great today and great cross for the, for the header. So I think it was maybe a sort of a, a, a sort of a circumstance that got that performance rather than it being something that's going to be able to happen on a regular basis. But they are capable of it. They've got good players. It's just whether Gauta can find a way to get that performance on a regular basis. All right. Quickly again uh, with Nice Krasnodar, Nathan. Similar to Monaco, Nice played a cadre of youngsters today. Any that stood out for you? I, I thought Marcel, the one in the midfield that I've seen before, I think he's played a one league game as well near the start of the season. I thought he had some nice touches. It was really a nothing game. The first half was at walking pace. The second half was suddenly kind of sprung into life. Krasnodar scored a relatively simple goal and a penalty for Alexi Bossetti on a terrible challenge on Lissamba that got the, whoever it was, I can't remember the name of the Granfist. player sent off. Yes, yeah, uh, Andreas Granfist, yeah, I remember. <laughs> he got sent off for, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a little bit of a nothing game. It was clearly a free swing by the amount of young players that were thrown out there, really, by Favre. It was almost like he picked 
um, what I do on Football Manager, which is change every single player for a cup game that doesn't matter. Um, that <laughs> seems to happen. It was nice to see Balotelli play out, though. He needed that. It was a, it was a strange game because it was almost like a friendly, which is why it was probably nice for him to get that run out. But yeah, the, there was little really learned in this one, I don't think, um, other than probably what we already knew, unfortunately. All right. That's, that concludes Nice's Europa League campaign, unfortunately. I do want to, we have a guest today. That's Thiago Esteval. Am I saying that right, Thiago? Yeah, yeah you're, you're fine. You're fine, buddy. Like, <laughs> most people can pronounce it anyway, so I'm, I just run with it. All right, Thiago is a, a writer for Who Scored and for Portugal, um, and we're, we're bringing him in to, uh, to speak about uh, the new manager for Nantes, and that's Sergio Conceição. Is that yeah, in the Conceição. ballpark? Conceição. Right. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess Thiago, just uh, take a couple of minutes to talk about uh, his career trajectory. Uh, what's his style? Is he an attacking and defending coach? Uh, what's his attitude towards young players? Not have a lot of exciting young players. So. Firstly, like you guys are aware of his professional career as a as a player, right? Or more or less. I, I know the name. Yeah. So like he, as a player, he was this he was this youngster for Porto who went on loan a couple of times. Then he came back and had a very good season for Porto in ninety seven, I believe ninety six, ninety seven. And when they when they won won the league, and then he played very well for Lazio, where Lazio paid a bunch of money for him, I think, and. He played very well in Italy for Lazio and for Parma. Then he had a couple of um, not so great stints with with Inter, I believe, and, and a couple more teams. He even even came back to Porto. But then he did really well with Standard Liège in in Belgium. So, like as a player, he's a very experienced player. He had like over fifty caps for Portugal. So, I think that firstly, I I gotta admit, I only watched one. Mat one Nant match this season, which was the six nil against Lyon. So I don't have the best impression of them this season. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I actually watched that match twice. But because for some reason it was on replay the following day, so I watched it twice and I thought it was really really bad. So I'm I'm glad they're changing something. But uh, yeah, as a player, he was he was very very good. He was very. He was very good in Belgium, despite the the low amount of, the low amount of time he was there. So, although I'm not completely sure if he speaks French, I'm assuming he understands it pretty decently at least, because he played in Italy, played in Belgium, so at least he has a bunch of influences. He's not like someone that just saw the game in Portugal or just played it here. And even when he started coaching, his first team as a coach, well, as an assistant coach, but was Stonard Liège. He, he went back and the and he coached them as a as an assistant coach. So that's where he started. So I think that in that sense, it's going to be very important for, for Nantes. A bit like, right, I'm going to make a bit of an outrageous comparison, so don't kill me for it. But a bit like when Zidane came into Real Madrid and just picked up the, the locker room because he was an ex-player and the players trusted him and felt like he knew what was like to be there after the whole fallout with, with Rafa Benitez, right? So I think something similar will happen. He has he has a lot of that attitude of he's not um, a politically a politically correct manager, if you will. He is someone that said always spits his mind. He tends to be somewhat controversial with the press, and he tends to have a lot of fallouts with the press, a lot of fallouts with like with club boards. He I believe he only. He only had a second season as a coach in academia, so he only got 
his contract renewed once. But it's not all bad news. Uh, no, but he, he's a very decent coach, and he's a very decent coach in specific moments. And this is his specific moment, which is to take a team out of a run of bad form. He's very good at it. He's done it a couple of times. He's he often... Actually, I think almost in every single one of his teams, he came in halfway through the season. I think he had, he had like three pre-seasons, maybe. Whatever. But like he, he came in halfway through the season with Gimaraes, with Academica. Um, and he, he's, he's a very good coach to just line up the guys in the locker room and just go in. He's a very, like, morally, he just psychologically gets the guys running. He, fires the team up like like few do and then another good thing about him is that it uh, he has a very good a very good relationship or a very good history with with youngsters which i saw i saw briefly the the nun squad to, today i was just looking at it in fact i'm looking at it now and i i'm aware i like i'm i'm i'm, I'm fairly aware of a couple of the players especially the two that came from portugal this season so Lima and Diego Carlos, who, who both have a, over a thousand minutes, so I'm assuming they've been used a lot. Lima is a regular and, Carlos, yeah, yeah. So that that's great to know. And th those are both young players. I know a couple of other players. I know. I just saw that he hasn't been getting many many minutes. I don't know if he had an injury, but I really like what I saw from Thomas on the season, the minutes I watched him last season, I believe. But I don't know what's happening with him. He he has a few minutes only, but. Either way, he's a very decent coach with young players. He has a good history with Braga. He, he was one of the first players to work with Rafa Silva, who is a European champion now and now plays for Benfica. Um, he also coached Deder in Braga. So if you guys don't know, he scored in the final. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, he's, he, he coached a bunch of young players. He has a an history of like... I was just, this just came to mind. I was just watching the um, Europa League match of um, Apoel Beersheva against Southampton. And there's a, a, play, a Nigerian player for Apoel called John Agu, who was very, very good for Academica under Conceição and is now a, a regular in the Nigerian national team as well. So he's a very good communicator, if you will. And, but he expects. A man that's always screaming on the sidelines, he's never quiet, he's never happy with the press, he's never happy with the refs, he's going to need a lot of support from the Nantes fan base, which I, I believe is pretty good, right? Oh, very much. Doesn't they, yeah, they have a pretty good following, right? So they need to stick by him quite a lot because what often gets him off teams is just fallouts, whether with the press or whether with the, with the club boards and... Not necessarily is, is the the job he did, and but but he's a very solid coach. I think he's the right man for the job at the moment. We'll see how things pan out in the sense of how he how he deals with the French press and how he deals with the environment and all of that. But for for Gimara, he's a a fearless kind of straight in your face coach. You know what I mean? Mourinho esque in that sense, if you will. Hmm. So your your understanding is that he's not he's someone who's been picked with consideration by non sport. He's not a name I think that that I I'm familiar with in terms of his managerial career. But due to his time in Belgium, his record developing young players, that there 
from from a Portuguese perspective, you do think that this is a manager who has been brought in with some degree of consideration on the part of the hierarchy. Yeah, announced. I believe so. Especially because, like, he's the type of guy that if my team was down in the relegation zone, and especially if my team could still climb back up, and not is only two points under the under the rest of the table, right? Like, they're only two points Something away like from that. being. They're, no, they're not cut adrift. Yeah. So, like, he's the type of guy to just come in and be extremely passionate, extremely, like, confident, and he's going to believe in the guys, and he's going to develop, he tends to develop quite a connection with, with players, especially with young players, because he's going to give them a chance for sure. Not like he has any other chance with Nantes, because Nantes, does, basically everyone's young. But, except Vizcarrondo. Does Vizcarrondo still play? Yes. Yes, all right. I'm not crazy, right? All right. That's good to know, actually. But... Seriously, he, he's going to give the youngster a chance and he's going to, there's going to be a connection there for sure. And just in that sense, the expect like some result, expect to run a run of results very quickly, like at the start, just because of the impact of him coming in. And then I'm just more interested to see how we, how we will continue it because he doesn't, he normally tends to come in halfway through the season, but this is, we're in December. We're not like in March. You know what I mean? He has with Academica when he came in and played. He played like five matches and he saved them from relegation. And then he stayed for another season. With and then he moved to Braga, who's obviously a, a bigger team. And that's another thing about him. With Braga, he, he got to the final of the Portuguese Cup, and I think Nantes is still both in the cup and the cup the league, right? Uh, they they're are. both in. Yes, they are right. So, I I believe he's he's someone that tends to take those other competitions in consideration as well. He's not someone that just focuses in the league. That he in with Braga, he got to the final of the cup, and then some would say unfairly lost to Sporting. He was leading until like the 89th minute or something, and then Sporting tied and turned it around after extra time. But so he had a very good cup run with Braga. Then he even he just got fired at the end of the season. He just His contract was not renewed just because he they just felt like he wasn't the man to continue with a longer project. So I think that's more of the difficulty with him. And then he eventually moved to moved to Guimarães halfway through the next season. And Vitória, Vitória Guimarães is the main rival to Braga. And he just doesn't care. He's that type of manager that just came in. And he's probably the only manager that went from one from one team to the other without that much backlash from the fans just because he has such a passion and such a professional integrity integrity thank you and that the fans just backed him up both the Braga fans when he was with Braga and then the Vittorio fans when when he was with Vittorio so he, in that sense he's a very good coach he's just for the first season, he's the man. I'm just more interested to see how things will go like once April and, and May come around. Right, well, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow Tiago uh, on Twitter at Tiago, T-I-A-G-O, Estev, E-S-T-V. Uh, he, again, he writes for Portugal and Who Scored. Uh, he's a very smart read. He's written a couple pieces for the site as well, profiling Diego Carlos. When he arrived at Nantes, He's, for my money, one of the best uh, best writing about Portuguese football around. Thank so, you very much. Yes, thank you very I much, Thiago. 
didn't come here for compliments, but I, I hate them. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Hopefully we'll speak to you soon if uh, Portuguese and French teams are drawn together. It'd be great to yeah, have you back on to talk right. about that. Just I thank give you. me a ring and I'll be here. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you. All right. So moving on now, we are going to have to fly through our, our previews here. Uh, so quick update on our, our points total. Adam, you were not present last week and you have slipped slightly oh, no. perhaps you're the new the new liverpool uh <laughs> so uh the current standings are myself on 36 adam on 35 nathan on 28 and peter on 26 we are gonna be looking at four matches this week plenty of chances to catch up for everybody well except for peter uh, who's not with us this week so let's move quickly to tomorrow's match uh, that's dijon hosting marseille nathan Marseille were imperious last week, and some have pointed to Florian Tolvan's performance as being the key to this. Uh, a win for OM would see them a provisional seventh heading into the weekend's matches, but even given a strong set of performances as late, can we really look at this as an easy match, given how Dijon have frustrated similarly informed teams this season, uh, Monaco in the recent past, and Leon earlier in the season come immediately to mind? Absolutely not. I think you picked out two perfect games where they frustrated strong opponents. But I also watched them last Friday where they're 3-1 down against Caen. And in fairness, it was not a flattering scoreline in the in the first half. I thought Caen were excellent. And, and Dijon were down to 10 men not soon after that. And they clawed their way back in the second half. It's it's a mixture of Caen being lackadaisical and... and the force of will simply by Dijon to make something happen. And it's a, it was a cracking through through game in the end. And, and in the end, Dijon maybe could have nicked it in the end, which is outstanding to say they played so long with 10 men. So no, Marseille should know that they can't live this line down, that Dijon's going to simply be a walkover because they've shown this season that not only can they be stubborn, but they can come back from adversity as well. So at no point can they take this lightly. They were much better last week than they have, and they've slowly grown into that performance. We've been waiting for that sort of explosion to really happen. And yeah, Florian Tovan has absolutely been the, the key to all of that. He's been terrific for them. He's been probably by far their best player in the last couple of months. He's He's been a little bit of everything he's tried to create. He's tried to will his team on. He's tried to be a, a rah-rah girl by saying all the positive things he wants to say about Marseille, about staying for the rest of his career and, and being that talisman. So him being in form, um, the rest of the players around him sort of feeding off that a little bit now. Now they've got a, a good manager and they're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's going to be a really, really interesting game, I think, this one, and possibly a really exciting one as well. All right. Bearing that in mind, how how just how exciting do you think it's going to be, Nathan? What is your score prediction for this? It's a tough one. This one, I'm going to go for a two-one Marseille. Okay, Adam, yourself. Two all. Two all. I'll go for one win for Dijon. I think we all think there's going to be goals. As observers of French football, we know that Dijon are a good team to watch. Marseille is a little bit as well. Adam, coming on to you now, the early match on Saturday uh, sees Bordeaux hosting Monaco. Uh, Bordeaux have been really poor of late, and I wrote in our column that I, I think that Gorvanek's getting it wrong tactically. Um, Adam, how would you respond to that? Am, am I on the right path here? How would you set this team up to succeed? It's an interesting one. I, I do agree. I, th I think it's, it's not... I, it's definitely partly a tactical issue. It's least, in fact, it's, I think it's about 80 90% a tactical issue. Because I think, as I said before on the pod, I like what he's done in terms of philosophy, in terms of the club in general. He's got the fans back on side, and I feel like they're going forward in, in one sense. But I think he's struggling to think, struggling to sort of pick his best team. I'm not sure he knows what his best team is yet. 
He sort of switched between 4-4-2 and 4-3-3 quite a lot this season. And it's whether he thinks he's got the players to play either of those formations. And he's, I think he's a bit unsure. It's, looking at their squad, it's, I guess the question he needs to ask himself, as I imagine he has all season, is how does he get the best out of his best players? And that means Jeremy Tugalong, can we get the best out of him? Adam Unes, can we get him to play as well as he did last season? Jerry Menes is a, is a really, really good player with great pedigree. Can we get the best out of him? How do we get the best out of those sort of players? And I think the issue is that they're, they're lacking a focal point that will get the best out of, especially Unas and, and Menes. I don't know that they've got a central striker, which is why they went 4-4-2 for so long, because it sort of covered that issue up, papered over the cracks that they don't really have a focal point. I really think they're missing Diabato. I think if Diabato was still in this team, they'd go 4-3-3 straight away. They'd have Menes and Unas either side, and they'd have that really solid midfield fit to Alon, Plasil, Sertic, Valentin Vader in there occasionally too. And it would really give them that target man to play off that both those players could use as a, as a focal point. And they simply don't have that this season. Diego Rolon was brilliant in 14-15. I think he got 15 goals in the league in that season. But since then, he has not shown anywhere near the form that I would have expected him to. And I'm not sure he's the solution in, in that role anymore either. I, I don't know if he even deserves to be in the starting lineup. It's It's a very difficult situation. So he's kind of trying to, to try to fit in those two strikers together because it kind of it makes up for that one Diabate. And Diabate was a goal scorer. He was a type of player that Ligon has very few of that you could count on him to score goals. And there are about four or five of those in the league. And he was proven. And they, I don't think they've got a Ligon proven goal scorer anymore, which is, which is a huge issue for, for Gorvanek. So I think perhaps it might be time to, to accept a bid for, for Roland. They've had a few over the last few, few windows, or at least have been rumours that they have. And I need to go out and sign a, a striker. And I think, given that focal point, Unas and Menes will have more more space, more more options to to attack, more space to run into, and and it'll it'll work better for the, the team in general. So I think I think they need a new a new striker. Really, I haven't really placed it about it. And Nathan, you mentioned the other week that you don't really rate Menes. Where do you stand on this? <sighs> they were. I watched them against Lille, and it was a dreadful game, and they really didn't do anything. And Menes was. Uh, middling to almost absent at times. He, mm. he tried to do little bits, but never really fully clicked. I still think he's not quite fit from the looks of things, in all honesty. Um, I think he's he, whether you carry on playing in games, it's a risk. But I think Adam makes a great point. They don't really have a focal point at the front of that team, and that's really telling because it's it's meaning the players around them where Menez maybe would benefit from someone who's who's a, Who's would be up top on there? And so would um, Una. So would Roland. It's they don't look good, really. And and it's it's a case of them finding the right players to fill in the gaps they need. Because if they can, then they I think they could be a good team. They've got good players in there. There's just not a team there yet, and that's a significant problem going forward for Bordeaux if they can't find anything in January as well. All right, Adam, your prediction then. Oh, uh, one all. One all. Bordeaux yeah. hold, holding Monaco at home. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with a two. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a close one. Right. I'm going to go with a 2 0 win for Monaco. Nathan? I do not think it will be a close one. 4 0 Monaco. 4 <laughs> 0. Sorry, 4 0 or 4 1? I didn't catch that. 4 0. 4 0. Okay. All right. Moving on now to uh, Pete. To, sorry, to Lille hosting Montpellier. Nathan, both of these teams are in form and looking to play some really attractive football, especially under uh, interim manager uh, Patrice Col- uh, Colo. 
uh, for Lille. Should either team have anything to fear? Or should they just go for it all guns blazing? It's a it's a tough one given where Lille still are on the table, where they're not fully away from danger quite yet. I mean, they they have lifted up the table and they're not they are three points above the drop zone, but memories don't fade quickly of where they were before. But we praised Montpellier at the week uh, on uh, Monday as well for how terrific they were, and that was without Boody Boo's really hitting form. So they can really go in good organs blazing. I think it, it really take off that momentum and try and push further up the table if they can sitting at that talk place. I think they, they're definitely better than that if they can play the way they did against Paris Saint-Germain, which was a terrific result. And and Lille are, are starting to slowly get better. They missed... They they didn't have a day there uh, at the weekend, but... Um, <laughs> got, heaven forbid, they've got um, Nicolas de Preville, who was really, really good, I thought. I think we saw... The Nicola Pre- the Depreville we wanted to see in that game against uh, Bordeaux. He was active. He was looking for the ball. He was getting in behind. He's unlucky with a header that's a good save um, from Carasso early on, and he does it. He he makes he seizes that opportunity from the corner as well, where it sort of bundles around a bit, and he's the first one to react to it. Um, having someone like that in the attacking areas is going to be such a benefit for them, especially if Ronnie Lopez can get in form as well they'll start looking much better after that, especially when they won the midweek before as well. So uh, there's a little bit of risk that Lille aren't, still aren't completely solid defensively. They weren't really troubled by Bordeaux, but it was shown up in the midweek game. So they maybe want to throw a little bit of caution into this one, especially with Montpellier beating someone like Paris Saint-Germain. But it's a really intriguing one, I think, this one. All right. Picks, I'm going to go with a 1-2 victory for the road side. That is Montpellier. Uh, Adam, yourself? Nil, nil, I think. Nil, nil for these two informed teams. <laughs> uh, and Nathan, for yourself? I'm going one all. All right. Pair of draws there. So, uh, I know we are running a little bit long today, but we can't ignore what is arguably the biggest match of the season. Uh, to date, in the league, that's PSG hosting Nice. PSG are badly out of sorts after their Champions League disappointment and the loss to Montpellier. Uh, Benice, welcome back, back Balotelli, uh, uh, today, this evening. Uh, the pressure will be, though, squarely on the hosts. Adam, how should Emery set this team up in terms of formation and personnel uh, to get what's really a, a imperative win? I think it's a, a huge, huge decision for Emery because the defeat at Montpellier last, last weekend was a shock, and so was the, the, the draw of Ruby Garrett's. And like the last couple of games, those two games in particular, obviously, but perhaps even slightly further back, um, I was sort of starting to think that they they turned a corner and and it seems to have gone all gone already. Um, it's it seems there's a choice between as as is quite common really between four three three and four four two three one. The four two three one that he's used in the last few games has got the best out of Ben Arthur. I think he's been brilliant in the last four or five games when he's come off the bench in the last two games. He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, but whether it's suited the team or whether the team given that very slight tactical switch, are used to it, given how much they've played behind the Blanc. It was, it's almost the exclusively that 4-3-3. I'm not sure whether they, given how attacking Ben Arthur is and how, you know, he's, he's almost a support striker, that whether Verratti and whoever plays alongside him midfield, probably Mata, maybe, the, whether those two players, whoever they are, whether they've, they, there's perhaps maybe overrun in there or perhaps just there's a bit too much space around them and they lose the ball in those areas a bit too bit too easily given they've always had that third player over Matuidi obviously as support and we know that 4-3-3 works in Ligue 1 4-3-3 PSG at home works and 
although it would mean dropping Ben Arthur, which I would I would be very disappointed to see given it's against Nice, his former club, and he's been fantastic in the last couple of games. It might be the safe option to revert back to 4-3-3 and persist with 4-2-3-1 later in, in the season when given the opportunity, because I think that's Emery's the way Emery wants to go with the team and that's that's his preferred setup but it hasn't really gone well too well in recent games so far in terms of results it's got performances out of Ben Arthur, who's been fantastic and it's got performances out of Lucas who's been brilliant but aside from that I don't know that it's ingrained in in the PSG team given how used to playing 4-3-3 they are so for me I would hate to say it but I'd go 4-3-3 and, and leave Ben Arthur out and if they're chasing the game maybe bring him on later on but I think it's a massive game, and I think if Nice can really get a result, it genuinely marks a shift in 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 PSG is the dominant force. And obviously, they're still the best team, and they're still the best squad, and the big, most resources. But they have real challenges if they can't win this game. So it's a, it's a big one. Nathan, what about Nice? Should they play with their usual verve or adopt the conservative approach that most visitors have have had at the Parc des Princes this season? It's a tough one. I mean, the the worry for me is they're still missing Paul Bice, so they can't really employ that three five two that was so successful in the first ten or so games of the season. So that will niggle it in the back of Lucien Favre's head of of deciding whether maybe it's safer to maybe start someone like Matthew Bodmer into that role where Bice was to secure it up, or does he go with a more like the four three uh, four two three one they've employed? while Bice has been out against some of the smaller teams and trust Dante and, and Malang Sar against, against such a attacking PSG lineup. It's a, it's a really tough one that it, he must be tossing and throwing through, but I would like to see them just be a little bit more... I would like to see them play the way they've been playing because it has been working so well. I mean, whether you start in that midfield three, do you, do you maybe start someone a little bit more defensive? So... Do you maybe again? Is that maybe where you throw Bodmer into the mix of maybe, maybe not starting William Cyprian, maybe and just having Seri with um, Bodmer and it could be a Cogiello maybe or something like that. It's it's trying to decide what will work best for them, um, but it's it's such an awkward balance to make, I think, at the moment because. If in an ideal world, Bice would be there. You play a three-five-two; it would be simple as anything. But it's not going to be that way for them. Away from home, do you be a bit more conservative against Paris Saint-Germain? But if they do get a result, they know how big a win would be. Like how an, even a draw would be pretty, pretty big. But a, a win would be enormous. And the temptation for that, especially with PSG seemingly on the ropes, I think that might be too hard to resist. So. Favre might go for this one, and if he does, and they and they get a victory, um, to quote to quote Glenn Frey, um, the heat is on for for Unai Emery. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what is your prediction then for this, Nathan? I am going to go with my heart instead of my head, and that tells me a two-one victory for Nice. Okay, uh, Adam. Uh, I, I was say two one, but I'll, I'll say one nil Nice. I really hope they go for it for the good of the league. I really hope they play their normal style. So one right. nil Nice. I'm going to go for a one one draw myself. Uh, and that's all for today. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, for Nathan Staples and Adam White. I've been Eric Devin. Please do be sure to follow us at GFFN for all the latest news 
And just a, a late-breaking uh, piece of news, though, it, it does appear that uh, following the incident in Mets, uh, the, their, that entire stand will be closed for the rest of the season with uh, season ticket holders being given the op- opportunity to either uh, be placed elsewhere in the stadium or to get a refund. So uh, no point deduction. The match will be replayed, but that's certainly a hammer blow to the pocketbooks of the hierarchy at Mets. Thank you, and have a great weekend. Uh, do be f- sure to follow us uh, throughout the weekend at GFN Match Zone as well for updates from all the games around League uh.